This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite, hosted by superfan and actual know-it-all Kyle Armstrong on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bite Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong, and man, am I excited today. We've got a really special guest lined up. We're going to talk to Jack Hewitt, and I'm really excited to hear what he's got to say. I mean, that's one of my heroes for sure. He's got a good book out, and the book is called Hewitt's Law. You can check it out and go ahead and listen to this podcast, and you'll hear some of those stories here on the on the show here coming up. But this past weekend, we had a late model race at the Lucas Oil Series. They were going to have the race Friday and Saturday night. Well, Friday got rained out. But Saturday, it was total domination by Kyle Larson. He started sixth, and by lap 14, he was in the lead. The race went caution-free, and he dominated that thing and won by a margin of just over 15 seconds over Devin Moran, just smoked the field. And and Kyle Larson, you know, coming off of the Chili Bowl win the week before uh, that paid 10000 to win, he had to be there all week to to do that. And then this late model race was 15000 to win, so... The late models are definitely paying some good money. There was a big crowd there on hand, and a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people's eyes are on our sport right now with late models. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal with Kyle Larson running and winning that race. And uh, you know, East Bay's coming up this week. The Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series will be in action Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then after that, going to Bubba Raceway Park, and then following that, the World of Outlaws gets into action with racing at Volusia Raceway Park. So it's a lot of busy, a lot of busy racing coming up every night of the week. You're going to be able to watch racing on TV in some, some form or fashion. So I look forward to uh, getting to see all of that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Jack Hewitt. Uh, I mean, he really needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. 76 time winner in USAC Silver Crown Sprint Cars National Midget combined 56 time All Star Sprint Car winner and three time or four time World of Outlaw Sprint Car winner and 2001 National Sprint Car Hall of Famer. Jack, he also finished 12th in the 1998 Indianapolis 500 and won the four crown nationals at Eldor, winning all four divisions in 1998 and a bunch of other accolades. But we wanted to get him on the show to kind of mainly talk late model racing. And coming up, we're going to go to the phone lines and we're going to talk to Jack Hewitt on the Forward Bike Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Welcome to the Forward Bike Podcast, Jack Hewitt. You got time for an interview tonight, Jack? I got time for another short one. I hear you, man. Well, I'll I tell you what, it's really a privilege of mine to have you on here tonight. I've been a fan of yours for a long time and like i was telling you before we went on i'm only 29 years old i never even got to see your race but you've been one of my heroes and i enjoyed your book and uh, i just wanted to get you on here tonight and ask you some questions if that's okay i think that's cool and, uh, and i'm sorry that i would have still been raising the day if i wouldn't have gotten here i can guarantee you that yeah i i, I know man i i know you would have and i would have loved to have got to witness you racing that's for sure but I want, but we're kind of more of like a late model podcast, and I wanted to ask you some late model questions, if that's okay. That's not a problem at all. Well, Jack, you, uh, it's you. Got, from what I can tell, you got your start in a late model in about 1983 there, and you'd never even set in a late model and go out and qualify top ten at the World 100 in Charlie Schwartz car. That's a pretty big accomplishment in itself, right there. 
Well, see, Charlie Schwartz was our Fonzie growing up, and and uh, so when he just you know got pretty situated in late models, he asked me if I'd like to drive one of his uh, backup cars. And I said absolutely, and moved this uh, Hoosier hundred that day, and uh, that's when they get one lap qualifying, and Charlie had three. It was in the last round, about twenty cars left to go when I showed up. And went out there and never lapped or anything, but we knew Eldora. And I don't think we, I think we'd like pulse quick, but it was still pretty good. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely a pretty good to, to get in one for your first time, but you definitely knew the track. You, uh, you're you from Troy, Ohio there, not but about 35 minutes from Eldora, and you grew up going there as a kid. You've seen a lot of races there. Uh, I know that's your favorite track before I, I don't even have to ask you, but I guess tell me some of your earliest memories from going to Eldora. Well, see, I, when I was born, I was born in 51 when they opened up in 53, so I was there when they started. And, uh, I mean, we was there actually when they had the pits down in turn three on the outside. And I, I only remember a couple of things about that. But uh, just growing up at Eldora, you know, we were the same age as Terry Baldus, and we didn't do a lot together there, but sometimes we screw around and, and played around. You know, the only time we watched the races when Dad was running. But, uh, yeah, it was a cool place to grow up. Yeah, what about what about Earl Balch? You got any good Earl stories? Oh, I, I was just, when you were just, I was telling you about this, my boy, Cody, and he was uh, like, I don't know, six, seven years old, and he was playing down in the in the third turn again with Dean Jacobs, Dean Jacobs' boy, or Lee is his name, I'm sorry. And anyway, they're, they're playing, and they're throwing rocks over the hill. Oral boys walk up to him, and you know Oral's always in a grassy with him. What do you boys think you're doing over here? And Cody, my boy, he gets quick, and he said, oh, I said, don't worry about it. I said, he said, my dad knows Earl Baldwin. <laughs> and Earl said he had to bite his lip and walk away. I mean, he was just laughing so hard. He said, don't worry about it. My dad knows Earl Baldus. That's great. Well, I, I yeah. remember reading a story there in your book about stealing the ambulance one night, if you can tell that one. Well, what happened was my dad would drink a little bit. Well, he'd drink with Earl even. But anyway, after the races, we went up with the, a guy that was um, Steve Victor, Nick Wynn, Dad, myself, and Glenn Caldwell. Well, Glenn Caldwell had to go to work the next day. And Dad was always famous. Well, go ahead. We'll get a ride home. Well, the time Dad came drinking, there wasn't nobody left there to bring and take it home. So, and they had a two-day show. You know, they ran Saturday and Sunday. So, I thought, well, if we're going to sleep something, I just got in the back of the ambulance, laid down in the bed. And Steve Victor, he just sat down in that little jump seat next to it. And Nick Glenn, he got in the passenger side. That only left the driver's seat open. Dad got in there, and the key was in the daggone thing. And uh, so we took it home that night. We lucked out because he found the light, but he never found the siren. <laughs> I bet that was a heck of a trip. Oh, my gosh. And Dad said, the next day, he said, well, do you want me to You want to go with me take it back? I said, that's no when you get my back off the bed. And then Earl Boldus' brother-in-law, Jim Renderly, said, Earl, the ambulance is gone. And uh, 
or else I would die here. My, he said, Don must have taken it. He said, well, he ain't allowed to take that one. It's gone, isn't it? Well, he did take it. So <laughs> anyway, that got up back. And, and Earl's book act like that took it a few times, but he didn't. He only took it the one. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, I, I I think I would like to have hung out with your dad. He sounds like he was a good time. Well, I guarantee you, if, if, if dad would have been alive, he died the year before he went to Indy. And I guarantee you, if he was still alive, they would all remember dying here, even if they forget Jack. Yeah, yeah, I, I hate that he uh, passed away. But I want to ask you, I want to kind of re- re- go back to uh, – you know, the World 100 there, 1983, you made your start, and I believe 85, you ran it, too. What are some of your memories of those two races? I know you uh, got hooked up with J.W. Hunt there, and that was a whole other story, too. Well, that was all through Charlie's work also. And uh, the late Miles Wood was funny. Mr. Hunt said when they got in the car, and uh, he seen me go into turn one. He said, I just turned my head. He said, because I know you done stuff the right in the wall. He said, and I looked around in some way. I heard you going down the back straight and went out. I don't know how you made it through. But he said, when you went in the three, he said, I knew there was no coming out. And yet we did. And uh, like I said, that one the year I did the best. I think, you know, over Knoxville, you think being a front car driver and everything, but I was going to win the Knoxville National. But growing up for close outdoor speedway, to me, the greatest race is the World 100. And, and the best I ever did there was eight. But we've been on front car driver. I was pretty happy. Yeah, and then and I guess you'd fast forward a little bit there. You actually started on the pole in the nineteen ninety four inaugural Dream One Hundred, but that one didn't go as you planned. Well, no, and and actually, uh, if I hadn't have blew my motor uh, and three laps to go in the heat race, I'd have started on the pole of the million. Wow! And I, I blew up and just cut me out of that one a little bit, but you know that's just how things happen. Yeah, that's just the way luck goes, I guess. Well, you talk about Eldor or the World 100 being the biggest race in your opinion. Uh, I guess I would like to know if uh, you would trade any amount of your USAC wins or all of them for just one World 100. I don't know if I'd trade a lot of them, but I would definitely, I would trade some for it for that without a doubt. Because, like I said, that's the race I would love to win. And actually, one year, I don't remember the year, but it was the, the Johnny Appleton, you know, like the week before the World 100. Yes. And, uh, that gone, we went and followed John Gill for like, well, we was coming down for the white flag. Donnie Moran and I had been racing the whole race for second and third swapping back and forth. And Billy Moyer was behind us. And anyway, going into three on the next to last lap, Donnie dropped down. I went high, so he couldn't come back up. Coming off the fourth corner. I passed John Gill for the white flag, and we went and won that race. So I got to beat John Gill, Donnie Moran, and Billy Moyer there, and that was one of my best races ever. Well, that's definitely a big accomplishment. I wish I could go back and watch that thing somehow. I do, too. Of all the things I got, movies ever, you know, filmed of the races, that's one that, that nobody got, and I would have loved to have that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'd love to see it, too. I, I'll tell you what, you – uh. You talked about Charlie Swartz and you and him, you and him go way back. I mean, reading your book, I realized that, uh, that you and him were just childhood, uh, friends there. And then you, you've grown up racing together and then you did that late model deal and, and heck you guys are still friends. And uh, I just, 
want to know a little bit about how that relationship's been throughout the years. Oh, it's been great. We've, uh, he actually was supposed to come down last year. He came down, spent three months down here in Florida at our place, you know. He had a trailer down there, and him and Leslie came down, and they were supposed to come this year, but things just got screwed up, I guess, with this COVID or whatever. And, uh, but all uh, we went to Australia, and, and then the, the team over there, and what one didn't think of, the other did. And, and we just had a ball throughout our life, and, and we're still great friends. Yeah, man, you guys have definitely lived the dream. What about Australia? You had some, uh, you had a bunch of trips over there, didn't you? Didn't you got banned there from one at one point, didn't you? Yeah, we was over there, and uh, I ran the late model over there. I think, well, I don't think you say for four years, and then we ran for my buddy over there one year, or part of the year. But I actually went over eleven. But the one year, that one was Rodney Combs was on our team that year and we turned around and this Tony Junifola over there you're a hero if they beat you or crash you and it's for them against four of us and anyway then the eight, final race of eight cars he just cut the corner and drove me straight up the wall and he knocked the goopy not that that takes a lot but tore my car a pretty good <laughs> thing and uh, so we go back to the hotel that night well the next night they gave me the microphone, and uh, I said, "Now, Tony, I, you know, I just told him how a bunch of it. Well, I don't probably not take crap, but anyway, how bad the drivers are in Australia, and I was putting them down. There were twenty-three thousand people there booing me and all this. And uh, when I walked back, I told him, I said, you know, Tony, if you think you're going to do night what you did last night, you're wrong.' And when he looked down, I mean, I brought one up on the ground and I dropped him." And he's on his hand with me, and everybody thought that was pretty bad until I tried to kick a 60-yard field goal with his head. And uh, and then we went out, and I think we won the feature that night and all the races. We were on fire then, but I think the police had to take us on back to the motel. Rodney Combs, his wife, and I, and the police were Rodney and them loaded up, and we got out of there. But it worked out. We'd become friends, and nobody stayed mad. Well, back to your story. Monday, they came from all over the country for this stock car federation or whatever it is they have over there. And they had all these guys lined up that's on this board. And they said, well, we're going to ban you from auto racing in the world. And I got the laughing at them. And, and I'm going to make another cup on this deal. But I said, I want to know which one of you SOBs is going to call Earl Balls up and tell him I'm not allowed to run outdoor speedway. Well, they talked a little longer, and they fined me $5,000. And I wouldn't have paid it hadn't it been for Rodney Cohen. <laughs> Man, that is a neat story, Jack. I'll tell you what. But the following year, I was in Strickard for Bob Trossel. Yeah. And this Bill Sutherland, coming off the fourth corner, I, I pinched him a little bit for the trophy dice, and he the front end and passing. So I turned around, and I waited on him to pass me back. And I passed him, so I passed him the next lap, going in and won the dash. And the same guy that fined me $5,000 and wanted to ban me from the world, my nickname was Gentleman Jack. So whatever sold tickets, that's what they did. That's exactly right. Well, you mentioned the gentleman. What about the Southern gentleman, Freddie Smith? It says you had a couple of run-ins with him in your book. Uh, well, uh, trust me, I'm going to be nice on this radio and just say he's an a-hole. <laughs> but trust me, he's a lot more than that. He, 
everybody said how nice the guy is. I was down here one year, and it was probably 84, 85. I had the governor's cup at Belusha County Speedway. I had three laps to go, and he spun me out on purpose. And then we went to Eldora, and he spun me out twice in the same heat race. And he got me one other time, and uh, it was just bad. I mean, if I'd have got my hold of his neck, I, that thing would still have a kink in it. Yeah, man, I, I hate to hear. I hate to hear that. That was a. Uh, I tell you what, Freddie Smith was one of our heroes down here around this area. We're from uh, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina area, and I got to see Freddie race a whole lot. And I never seen him do anybody wrong, but it sounds like he didn't do you the, the right way. Well, you know, there were some of those guys now. Purvis, of course, Larry Moore and I. You know, he grew up racing my dad, so and he just used to live right up the road from us here in Florida, but. Uh, Moyer, Moran, Purvis, all those guys, you know, accepted me. A gun decker, you know, uh, what the hell. Uh, Ray got through the goofballs. But then there was a few of them that just didn't like, a, you know, I didn't want to be a sprint car driver with those guys. I just wanted to be a race car driver with stock cars. And evidently, he didn't like the thought of somebody coming in because, you know, he uh, he just didn't like them very well for some reason. And I don't know why I never did it. I never, ever did touch his race car, but. I don't know. Kay, Kay Moore said she used to watch him, and he'd make a big circle away from my race car because it wouldn't have took much for me to grab him or try anyway. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get Freddie on here and uh and and pretty soon on one of these shows, and I'll get him. I'll ask him about that, and we'll we'll put the two stories mm -hmm. together. Well, if he lied, if he don't say that he did those four things, call me back because I'll call him a liar to his face. Well, and what? I got witnesses. What we'll do? We well, have him on there. You have him call Larry Moore's wife also. All right. Yeah. What we'll do? We'll put him on a uh, on a conference call. We won't tell him, but we'll put you on there and let let y'all both talk. Yeah. Well, you got to tell me what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say because you might have to have a beeper on that baby. <laughs> that, right? Oh man, Truthfully, that's gonna that's gonna be gold if we get that going. Truthfully, I. I ain't got time to be down to anybody today, you know. I know Lisa, that, yeah. One time broke my wrist, but uh, I ain't got I ain't got time to worry about them people anymore. I'm I'm having too much fun. I'm not gonna let them drag me down. I agree with you, man. I just I just seeing what you thought of him. You're speaking of having a good time today. You're down in Florida and just enjoying fishing, ain't you? Yeah, Jody and I went out today. My wife and uh, of course she outfaced me, but I'm used to that. She always does. But it'll make no difference. They're still out there doing it. Well, Jack, I was going to ask you, uh, what was the biggest difference in driving a sprint car versus a late model? Well, if you ask any of my owners, from from Charlie to Rick Allen to Tom and Paul Kessler, it was fenders because uh, you had to have bigger holes to go through. And I think I thought it was in a sprint car a lot of times. And not hard on the fenders. But to me, I didn't care. If I had a thing on the gas pedal, I wanted to drive it. You drive off the right rear a lot more, though, don't you? Yeah, I, well, see, I like a lot of right rear and front car, so it wasn't a big a big change for me. It made a big, you know, as long as that one off the corner, I was good. I didn't care. Hey, I hear you. Well, let's see. We're, I was going to ask you, too, uh, what about uh, – you're more of a dry slick track guy than a tacky track from what I've heard you say in the past. Well, it started out when I young, I was a cowboy and I mean, I busted my butt a lot cause I was just, I was braver than dirt, you know? And, uh, 
I think if you look in any of the older drivers, they all get better drive slick because when you have to slow down to go faster, you get smarter. And I just think that comes with, with years of experience. And uh, so my later years, definitely I did better on the drive slick racetrack. Well, 10 4. Let's see here. What else? Your uh, your USAC Silver Crown career has really been pretty big time too. You uh, you actually had the most career wins till up until here recently. Uh, you had twenty three, but Cody Swanson just broke your record. What do you think about that? Well, the thing, and I ain't make no excuses, Tony. Or Cody's definitely got the the record, and I'm not taking nothing away because he's a super little dude. But back when he was racing, we didn't have twelve, fourteen races a year. And then we didn't have a bunch of races where there was only 12 cars, you know. And uh, I'm not taking nothing with the driver today, but, you know, when we had Bigelow and Shelby Kinder and Pancho Carter, I mean, we had some pretty awesome dudes, Gary Bettenhausen, but he, he got the lead in and, and we're still second. But I don't know if you know it, but this John Mahoney has probably got one of the best compliments that the driver can have and if he's coming out with a book i think in may it's called uh, 50 years of silver crown racing and i mean i've got a picture of myself aj Foyt, and mario andretti and Cody on the front so that was not a compliment just to have my picture with those two guys and uh, at least they're not gonna let me be forgotten too quick yeah i agree i don't think you'll ever be forgotten jack i think that's I think that's uh, why I wanted to get you on here and ask you some questions tonight. So, you know, this will always be around and people can always go back and listen to it over and over again. Well, the, the problem is, you know, we've won a race or two in our lifetime, but right now what we're, the only thing we're going to be remembered for is our fit that I threw against the flagman out of making, you know, in that video, that's all anybody ever wants to talk about. Yeah, since you brought it up, I guess talk about it a little bit. That was a that was an interesting night, wasn't it? Oh my gosh! I mean, what happened is they went down and they kind of they just kind of walked down it by anyway, if you didn't have wound up and and they kind of checked up and anyway, my died down the back straightaway, and they put the lights out, and and they was coming down for the start of the race. Well, he turned the yellow one, then he turned it off. And ended up turning the green on, so the field all went flying by me, and the last car ran into me. I mean, and he said, "Why didn't want to call the crash going into turn one?" So now the only thing I did, I was so mad that I went to the side of the grandstand that didn't have the steps. I went, and I mean, I am trying to, I'm calling him everything he's calling, trying to get hold of him if I could. And uh, Bill Curry, the youth that guy. He said, Jack, if you call him one more name, I'm going to charge you 50 bucks. Well, $350, he quit charging me. <laughs> and so then I'm walking back to Pitt and D.O., Danny Laycock gets a hold of me. And, and you know me, I'm not really good at uh, pentership. So uh, my mouth took off running and uh, I banged the wall a couple times, I think. Well, that definitely was a classic video. I watch it all the time. Well, that's what we're going to be remembered for, I guarantee you. Oh, yeah, it, def it definitely is. But that was probably the greatest interview of all of all time in racing. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I got to live with it because I did it. So. Yeah, you may well, not think so, but I, I'll, I'll tell you that it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But we had we had a roast up at Eldora a few years back, and uh, he showed up. I mean, we weren't mad anymore, nothing like that. And he he takes all the ribbons that I give out, so he's good to go. There you go. That's pretty cool that you told that. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that was over with. Like I said, the bad thing, that's what we're going to be remembered for. Well, I, I've, there's a picture that goes around out there, too, a lot of times on uh, Facebook, and, and I've seen it uh, come up. And you may know, you probably know what I'm talking about, but it looks like at one point there you had a 63 late model with a Bob Hampshire uh, uh, silver crown fuel cell in it. And I was just wondering if that worked. Where was that picture taken? And if you can tell us a little bit more about that. I tell you, I can't remember the year, but it was probably 87, 88, somewhere in there. And uh, it was at the World 100. And what everybody laughed at when it pulled in, even though it looked cool in there, they all laughed at it. And we qualified really well because, you know, back then what they did, they qualified on methanol and then switched to gasoline for the 100 lappers. Well, then they all got to laughing. Well, then they got to thinking, now, wait a minute. He's going to be on, you know, he's going to have all that weight, but at the end of the race, we're going to be on gasoline. He's going to be on methanol. Well, anyway, the outlawed it after that. It was no longer the next year was in rule. Well, that made for a good picture and a good story. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was definitely talked about that. You know, like I said, it was funny until they got to thinking, you know, the ten last ten laps were gonna be on alcohol. They didn't like that part of it. No. But I but yeah, exactly. And and I could just imagine being there and being around all those people and it getting talked about and because uh, I've I've been to Eldora quite a few times, and whenever somebody unloads something different, you know, it gets talked about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's Charlie. He was definitely looking at his stuff anyway, and I don't I don't think that was in Charlie's car. That was in Mister Hunt's car, though. Yeah, I remember having a '63 on the car on the picture. Um, yeah. What about uh, J.W. Hunt? Can you tell us a few stories about him and how was he as a person? I, I know uh, he sponsored you, and it was a very famous sponsor with that strawberry logo, and I always thought those were some really pretty race cars. Well, he was just a white man now. He was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If, if he was in Florida, the Florida State line, you couldn't ask for anybody that was so meek and mild and just just a great guy. But man, when he gets a we hit that state line now, the, the gloves were off, and he was wide open, and uh, he would drink a little bit, and he liked his racing, and he liked people to talk about him, you know, and and just the things he did. Well, the first year, Charlie brought him up there with Jimmy Hunt was racing, and Charlie was running for Mr. Hunt. They came to Eldora, and I was running the school car up there at the time. Well, I had all that long hair and a beard and a mustache like his boy Jimmy did. So Mr. Hunt really didn't like me or didn't care for me and introduced us, but that's just about all it was. But the, the racetrack was only about three quarters of the way up and then there was a cushion. Well, I was running above the cushion up there and uh, he liked my driving style. And we turned around, I think it was the very following year, Hampshire and I was in Pennsylvania running the sprint car and uh, it's raining out at one of on Friday. So we, Said, well, let's go back to Lernerville, and then I got to go, you know, six hours for home so we can run outdoor the USAC race on Saturday night. Well, we got to Lernerville or to Pittsburgh and said, well, heck, we can make it to Lima, pays the thing. So we flew back to Lima land that night, and here my wife and my one year old kid 
showed up at the racetrack with Mr. Hunt. We didn't even know it was coming. And uh, anyway, he paid a thousand to win. And I think Freddie had fast time pretty late when I was second. I think Freddie got something for fast time. I won the dash, and Mr. Hunt ended up giving the like 400 bucks for that. But then in the feature, well, he walked up to Bob Hampshire, and he said, he just gave Bob the money, and he said, hey, I want my name on the car tomorrow night at Eldora. So Bob came up, and he said, Jack, he said, I think uh, Mr. Hunt just gave me $1,000 to have his name put in the car tomorrow night. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. Well, I won the feature, and Mr. Hunt just handed me a lot of money, and I just handed it to Hampshire. And I said, Hamp, I think Mr. Hunt just gave me $2,000. So we go home that night after the races, and uh, Hampshire calls us up, and we're in bed already. He said, Jack, he said, you know that thousand Mr. Hunt gave me? I said, yeah. Well, that was $2,000. And he said, you know that 2000 that he gave you? He said, that was $5,000. So for a thousand win race that night, we won, we won $8,000. That paid off pretty good, knowing Mr. Hunt. Yeah, yeah. And then we had, well, and like I said, we just, we, we, you know, they got, because we would just be a joke, and we, we were the judge for a couple of wet t-shirt contests out in California. And, uh, of course, Mr. Hunt was right there in the middle. I was just laughing and carrying on with all the dollars. <laughs> and I get it to the end. I said, look, I, I'm not, I'm the firmness judge. And, and we all got to laughing about that, but it didn't work out the way I intended, but. Yeah, he was for a little bit older than me, but he was cool. He was fun to be around. Yeah, I appreciate you telling us that. What about uh, what about the time at the World One Hundred when you punched the flag man? Can you tell that story? When I what? It says you punched the flag man one time at the World One Hundred. Oh, that Charlie Schwartz man, and he was. I've been second one. Charlie might have been the third, something like that. Well, anyway, so Charlie. Jump. Now, I jumped too a lot of time, but Charlie was making the move, and the flagman ain't going to fool with any of the the late model drivers. But, you know, for me, being a local guy and everything, he turned around and he just uh, black flagged me for jumping the sort. And here was Charlie. So, anyway, they sent me to the tail, and, I mean, I tried grabbing one of them in the car and couldn't. Well, anyway, we go up and we're getting paid later on. And and I'm waiting up there in about 45 minutes. He comes out, and I'm waiting on the pay line, and he's got two sheriffs beside of him, deputy sheriffs. And, and he's tiny with a name, so he was, he was, I don't know, six foot three or something like that. I don't know. Big boy. But he had a sheriff on the side of him, and it was pretty cool. Everything was going to be quiet, but then he gave me one of them looks, you know, like, you know, now what are you going to do? So I went over and hit him in the mouth. And the sheriff grabbed me and they took me back against the wall and he ran back in the concession stand or back in the judge's stand. And a little bit later they take me in and Earl's sitting at the desk and Tiny's at the end and I'm sitting there at the desk. The deputies are at the door and he says, uh, Jack, now Tiny said if you apologize to him, he won't press charges. Man, when he said he knew when he got out of his mouth, I'm back after Tiny again, you know. <laughs> I knew he wasn't going to apologize. But, and, and the deal was, he had to do something to me. So he he turned around and he um, he banned me from running Eldora Speedway for the rest of the year. Now, 
you know, this is World 100, so it's in late September anyway. And what it was, he banned me for any weekly show, which I think there was one. But like the All-Stars or the World of Outlaws or USAC, I'd allowed to run them. So he, he penalized me, but he really didn't. But you but you didn't get to run the four crown that year, did you? Yeah, I said he, he just banned me from the weekly show, which like I said, I oh, think okay. was one of I got and, you. He had his way around things. He was the boss. Yeah, it sounds like it. That sounds like a lot of fun, though, just hanging out with them cops and BSing with them all night. Oh, they thought it was fun after, after a few minutes. You know, I said, you know, they're $32,000 to win. I said, people kill people for a lot less money than that. So then <laughs> we just got to talk, and then they understood a little bit more. Well, what about the four crown at Eldora? That was probably one of your most shining moments in your career in 1998. When you, and you'd won a lot of races there before, but you'd never won all four of them in one night. I guess 1998 would probably be one of the highlights of your career, wouldn't it? Uh, well, absolutely. You know, to run Indianapolis and then the four crown, that was the highlight of the whole year just about for us. But to win all four of them in one night was just, you, you almost had to pinch yourself. You couldn't believe it was true, you know, because, I didn't figure anything. Now we've won two not two divisions, two or three times up there, four friends, but nobody had ever won three, you know. And uh, so after I won the modified race, I already figured that's good because nobody had ever won three. Well, then we went and won the silver crown, fifty lap or team of that, and made it four. And uh, it was just an unbelievable night, you know. The hard part to believe is two o'clock in the morning. All the fans are still in the front straightaway, and that old tight Earl Bowles went and shut the lights down. What a creep. Well, Jack, you were talking about winning the four crown, and one of the things you brought up there was the fans. I know you've uh, really been big about your fans over the years and signing autographs and hanging out until they're all gone. And you hear a lot of people talk about Richard Petty doing that, but I think you're famous for hanging around and meeting the fans too. Well, win, lose, or draw, we was always there, you know. And we were always one of the last ones to leave. We won a feature one night at uh, Gas City in the car for the Indiana Speed Week. And they charged it like $25 for a fifth pass back then, which was unheard of. 15 was a lot of money, but this was like $25. And I was hot. So when we won the feature, instead of just turning around and... Uh, Stopping up on the front right away, getting your picture taken, and then they getting all that advertisement. I just did a kind of U-turn on the back straightaway and drove around the front of the crowd, waved at them, and just drove back to the pit area. Well, Jigs, the, the guy that was front for the race uh, promoter, he came up to me after the feature, you know, and he said, hey, can I get you to do me a favor? And I said, well, absolutely. He said, well, I want to congratulate you on winning. He said, but do me a favor and don't never come back here again. I said, hell, I can't afford to come back here unless you charge too much money to get in. <laughs> but it ended up that he had to finally come down, and he said, look, could you go get paid? My wife wants to, to go home, and you're the last one to get paid. But I was there for all the fans until the fans were gone. And on the way down and back, we become good friends, and uh, he forgot all about me not stopping on the front straight away. Well, I got a T-shirt from you a couple of weeks ago, and you autographed it. And your autograph is one of the most legible autographs in racing, in my opinion. Well, the only thing I tell kids about racing today, 
when they come up and they ask me if I got any advice, I said, there's two things. I said, if you sign your autograph, make sure they can read it, and said, and always be there for your fans. I said, if you get them to say, I never was the best race car driver. I'll, I'll admit that hands down. But I guarantee when you come to the fans, we was right there with anybody. Yeah, and the fans appreciate you taking care of them like that. Yeah. Probably a neat one we had a few years ago. Uh, maybe four or five years ago. This girl came up to me. And, and um, now we're talking, I don't know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And she came up and she said, you might not remember me. I said, Sharon. Because her and her sister would always bake me a, a birthday cake every year for Limeland Speedway and stuff. And when I rattled off her name, I thought she was going to drop over. You know, she couldn't believe that I remembered her after all those years. But, you know, they just they make an impression on you. And, and you just don't get forget people very easy. Yeah, that means a lot. Well, Jack, do you uh, do you watch any racing anymore? Keep up with it? Do you uh, ever get to like see uh, what Kyle Larson's up to? I mean, he won the Chili Bowl and then gets in a dirt late model and wins in it too. The following week, do you uh, do you keep up with well, anything like that? One. Yeah, we watch both of them. I mean, without a doubt, you know. Well, then yeah. Kyle, he come up and won all three of them at Eldora. They only had three at the time with him. If they hadn't had four, he probably would have won it too. But as it worked out, you know, he's the only one to ever win three there at Eldora. So he's right up there. And we kept an eye on him all along. And we did watch the Chili Bowl. And then, man, what can you say about Lake City, you know? And uh, we'll probably be watching, I think, East Bay tonight, isn't it? Yeah, East Bay's tonight and all week. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, that's good to hear that you keep up with it because there's – there's more ways than ever now to watch all these races and it's uh it's really really special to really be able to keep up with it in real time well the funny part now instead of watching the guy that i race with i'm watching their kids you know they have to be my favorite there's some new ones coming in that i don't know that i have to learn their names but if i race against their dad it gives me a little head start anyway yeah I tell you, I'd love to see a match race between you and Kyle Larson, both of you in your prime. That would be a good good show right there. Well, that boy can drive. I ain't no doubt about it. Yeah, he's on top of his game right now, and it'd be interesting to see what he can do. He said he's going to run a lot more late model races and sprints and midgets and whatever all year, you know, on top of his NASCAR schedule. So, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely one to watch. I actually saw him earlier today. But the thing about it, to me, you know, everybody's got to be so politically correct and what they say is too much crap and everything. And he didn't say nothing bad to get in all that trouble to begin with. But probably the greatest thing I see when he went to feature, his wife goes there and shoots a bear. And that means he's got dirt track in him all the way through. And she's, she's the winner in my book. I agree with you there. Well, Jack, that's, that's really about all the time we've got for today. And, uh, Man, this has been great. I've really appreciated you coming on the show, the Forward Bike Podcast, and uh, your book's fantastic, Hewitt's Law. You can get it at DaveArgerbright.com, and your T-shirts, Jody's got those, and uh, I'll tell you what, man, that's it's been an honor and a, and a privilege to get to talk to you tonight, and I hope you catch a bigger fish tomorrow than you caught today. That sounds good, and maybe we'll get to do this again sometime, Kyle. Absolutely. Thank you, Jack. 
You're welcome, buddy. Thank you for listening this week. That was another episode of the Forward Bike Podcast in the books. I would like to thank my buddy JT Lefevre. I asked him for some questions and some input on what I should ask Jack because he actually lived it. I mean, I told Jack whenever we got him on the phone, I said, man, I'm only 29 years old and I never even got to see you race, but you've always been one of my heroes. And he, he thought the world of that. So JT Lefevre, I reached out to him. He had some good stuff that I used in the show and I appreciate that. And, you know, I asked a few more questions in a few more online forums. And if you're listening, I really do appreciate what you had to say. And, uh, you know, if I used it in the show, I appreciate it. But I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong, and we'll see you next week.